Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host and husband, Kyler K. Jafari. Hi, hi, hi. Hi. I'm all tangled up over here today. This cord is in in between my legs. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know you were into that. I didn't realize I was either, but I guess this is my kink. How are you? Happy New Year. Merry New Year. Yes. Same as the old the year. First episode stays of crazy. 2021. Yeah, there's been a lot going on in the world. Do you have anything to say about it? I mean, I don't have anything to say that everybody else hasn't already said. So, I mean, why why dwell on, you know, how crazy everything is? Yeah, our holidays were pretty boring. It was just the two of us, no family, no friends really, just hanging out and cooking and, you know, drinking. Today, we're just having a, a little bit of kava. We're keeping it very the simple. The sparkling. Mm-hmm. Always a classic. Well, you know, like Alexis, we always have something sparkling in the in the refrigerator, mm-hmm. ready to go at any moment. Yes, on the chill. But yeah, we didn't do any traveling. We're in California, so we're super duper locked down here. But I did, you did. At least the weather's nice. You did tell me an interesting travel story that I had never heard of before. <laughs> and I was completely scandalized. Well, I mean, this is. You want to share with the class? This is how bad like the wanderlust gets when you've been locked up for almost a year now, I guess, that you even think fondly back to moments like this. So I'm. I'm I don't know. I don't know if there was like a conspiracy on this particular flight to sell people headphones or what it was, but the ones that I had wouldn't fit the jack and I refused to pay $5 for headphones. Well, I'll just watch something with closed captions. You'll pay $40 for a bottle of champagne, but you won't pay $5 for headphones. Well, I mean, that's money well spent. You pick your spots, you know, I'm not (laughs) going to die on the hill for, you know, $5 earphones. So... Yeah, I was like, I'll watch something with some closed captions. I'll make it work. This is only a three-hour flight, you know. Almost nothing had closed captions that I was interested in watching. And I always, like, I don't know. You know, plane fare is already kind of basic. So I tend to gravitate to what's the the most outlandish thing here that I can watch. Like, something that's a little unusual. Always a nonconformist. Well, the most unusual thing I could find was The Prince of Tides. And I'm like, oh, I kind of remember this, sort of. I never watched it, but... I don't think you know. I've ever seen seen it i i just i just knew the the bubba streisand is in it and i think nick nolte or something so you know i put this on and i'm just like being a psychotic i'm like watching this without closed captions but you know there's so much schmacting going on like you can pretty much piece together what's happening especially on the part of barbara streisand who i guess directed this as well that was her directorial debut i mean i don't know i, I think they ran her out of town after this movie i'm not sure but anyway you mean into her basement yeah <laughs> right her her cellar so there's like this scene in the third act i guess this is like the pivotal moment because it's that thing where nick nolte is going to therapy or something and she's the therapist you know what i found a quote about this film like while we were setting up the sound stage i'll just read this the good but slightly barfy tale of nick nolte coming to grips with his feelings and deciding to bed his sister's therapist so that's basically what this movie's about, right? But then you get to like the third act. You know how therapy, like you spend years and thousands of dollars to finally give up that golden nugget to your therapist. Like, I don't know why it takes forever, but finally, I guess he has this 
pivotal moment with Barbara Streisand, aka his psychoanalyst. And it's this really horrific flashback to 12-year-old Nick Nolte and his abusive family. And I guess the dad did a bad business deal or something. And these these two deliverance type dudes show up and like shoot up the dining table and there's like child um we'll just say molestation it is very graphic and i had no idea i was like what what i it's like i was just here to watch nick nolte and barbara streisand i thought it was a love story scenery you know like yeah so i'm so scandalized and then i look over and this lady sitting in the seat next to me is, is probably more scandalized. And I was like, well, I made my bed. I guess I'll finish this movie, but she must think I'm a complete maniac. Now, so. did she think you were psychotic because you were watching that film or watching that film without any headphones on? Uh, both of those. And also because there's this insane thing happening on the screen next to her. I mean, you know, people are on planes. They, they're not there for pivotal psychotherapeutic moments that involve graphic you know sexual uh, assault sexual assault i know i always get really worried when i'm watching a movie on the plane or when i used to take planes and <laughs> there'd be like a sex scene or something because like everybody can see what you're watching it's so exhibition i feel like i just self-judge myself because you know one time i watched gentlemen prefer blondes like because again, it was like this one random classic thing. porno. You know, it wasn't like you know last year's blockbuster that I'd already seen twelve times. I had to think like, what do these people think about this weird guy watching gentlemen prefer blondes? Well, in kudos row to whatever airline that was for having. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's my blondes. thing. I feel like I have to reward them by watching that stuff because then they'll never put anything interesting in the in the catalog. You know? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of blondes, we have the return of one of our favorite dynasty blondes, Sammy Joe Carrington. She's back and bitchier than ever. Let's take a break and we'll get into this week's episode, The Downstairs Bride. Today's installment of Dynasty As They Want to Be is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our darlings a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y nasty podcast. There you can browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast or text nasty podcast to 500 500 to get started today. Welcome back. Where do you want to start? This was kind of a weird episode because the whole Sammy Joe New York stuff is actually just a little minor part of it. It really is about Kirby and then this hostile takeover that's still a brewing between Denver Carrington and Colby Co. Frankly, this this was kind of a, a snoozy episode. There wasn't, I mean, there was stuff happening kind of, but none of it was particularly exciting. Yeah, there wasn't a lot There's to no high drama. sink your teeth in the Yeah. Well, uh, we do start back in Reno with the the new couple, husband and wife, Jeff Colby and Kirby, I guess now Colby. I wasn't even paying attention to them. All I could see was this wackadoodle hotel room they were in. I know. Well, that's what I was getting to because I love that you got to see more of a hotel room. I don't even know how to describe it. I guess this is what was considered middle of the road taste in was the early 80s. Was it supposed 80s? to be I don't a know. themed room or mm. was it like leftover from the 70s? Because it's definitely 
definitely had a leftover from the 70s, but mildly updated kind of vibe. That's what I was getting. Well, because like Reno, I think of Reno now and I think that it's kind of like lost its luster. But I would think in the 80s it would be nice. But this room makes it look like it's a dumpster fire. I, I Well, I don't know if it's a dumpster fire, but I would definitely put most of the things in it in a dumpster and set Be it on fire. Be careful though because most of those things look very <laughs> flammable especially the lampshade that still has the plastic on it. I love the it. lampshade that still has the plastic on it. <laughs> now I remember being a youth in the 80s and going over to people's houses or grandmother's houses or whatever and there would be plastic on the lampshade. Now was that to protect it or they just yeah, didn't take it off? So that was it was left up to the customer if he or she would wish to remove the plastic. No. Never leave it up to the customer. But yes, the, the, you know, they, they came that way and you could choose to leave it on so that you would never have to dust your lampshades. Or at least if you did, you could actually get the dust off because... So it's like plastic on the furniture. Mm-hmm, right. Wild. You know, instead of you having a dirty, dusty lampshade, you have a lampshade covered in plastic that looks just as ugly, but in a different way. But the, the lamp that I was into was that insane floor lamp. What was that? And it was like planted right there in front of the window. So it was like a focal point. That was from the dr seuss it was definitely like yeah the grinch like stole a floor lamp (laughs) and gave it to you for christmas (laughs) bah humbug and as if the the that weird seussical shape wasn't enough like then it's also got like crystal on it i don't know it was kind of one of those things you feel like you see at that really nice quote-unquote antique furniture store at the flea market but it's all just stuff from china that looks like antiques i i know this is very specific but i feel like michael jackson would have picked it out Oh, yeah. He would have loved that. Well, as to be expected, nobody is excited about the the nuptials between Jeff and I don't Je- even Jeff think and Jeff Kirby. and Kirby are that excited about it. I think they regretted it instantly on the plane back home. It's a great example of how Jeff and Kirby are kind of small fish in a big pond or something. I don't know. I don't know what crappy metaphor I'm going for, but neither of them really has like too much say in their place in the stories or in the universe of Dynasty. You know, them getting married is like, it seems like a good idea to them, but then they realize it's not going to take with the outside world, right? Like, because they don't really have any political sway well he's doing it as a rebound because he just needs to be with somebody since fallon has clearly moved on and she just wants to be a rich bitch and move upstairs well kind of but not in the same way that uh trampy joe wants to be a rich bitch so well that's actually i feel kind of bad for kirby because which is like weird because i usually just don't even care about her character but she really does get kind of raked over the coals over this marriage between all of the men as well most of the men well it starts with fallon although i well, thought that's true fallon yeah fallon gives it, her the business too but yeah. i think fallon took it way easy on her i thought fallon was so level-headed and cool about this whole thing i thought she was going to be raging but she makes a couple of quips when they come home and and talks to jeff about it and says you know whatever even mark jennings tries to console fallon later in the episode because he thinks maybe she might be bereft about this but she's like nah let's just fuck on this couch yeah i well i you know that's that's fallon style she's she's not all there for the love and the romance 
You know, she just wants a nice screw on the wicker sofa. But Joseph, man, it's been a while since we've seen him be this bitchy. But man, he like sends all the help out of the kitchen when Kirby comes home. Oh, he doesn't send them. They already know. Like once he walks in, they like skedaddle. <laughs> yeah, he just gives like a little bit of a side eye and they're like, uh-oh, we need a GTFO. Which by the way, like I love this spread on the kitchen counter. It's it's what, like Joseph's spread on the kitchen counter. Did you notice he sat his ass up on there? Uh, well, I mean, they weren't thinking about hygiene in these days there were vegetables well there were also pheasants freshly caught from the marsh i guess i don't know um oh i just noticed those big ass carrots they look like bugs bunny cartoon carrots yeah they were definitely from the organic section <laughs> at whole foods or something but yeah so you know they, they stop all the chopping of the vegetables and exit the room i have a question for you from this moment on what am i supposed to call you mrs colby madam your Royal Highness. Uh, don't answer that. As the major donor of the household, I'll come up with the proper form eventually. You know, the thing with Joseph is he could be a Blake character, but he's obviously not in that position of power to do it. So whereas Blake kind of gets his tantrums, but also has his way, Joseph doesn't, you know. So of course, like, all he can do is sit there and berate his daughter and then leave the room in a tizzy. The thing is, is Joseph's just mad that Kirby's crapping where they eat. You know, she can go marry into wealthy society somewhere else, but not at home. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But look, there's only so many characters on the show. So it's kind of hard for me to see outside of the con finds that were existing in here in the dynasty universe it's like clearly they're going to end up together well it's hard for them to see outside of the confines i mean they can't even afford a set for kirby and jeff to move to like so i guess they can't even afford a wedding you know that's what i was thinking about with the beginning of this episode This is the second time... They, they didn't elope because they wanted to elope. They eloped because it was just cheaper to shoot it. Everybody's... Way. Since the first episode, when Crystal and Blake had their somewhat fabulous wedding, we have been deprived of a real true wedding. Everybody's eloped. Have you noticed that? Alexis and Colby eloped mm-hmm. on his deathbed. Steven and Sammy Joe. Jeff and Fallon. Jeff and Kirby. Can we not find the funds here to do a wedding at least, you know... In the back lot I mean, it seems like an easy yard. sell because we all know the budget goes to wardrobe, but I mean, wardrobe's half of a wedding, right? So give no Alexis there. one scene and take that wardrobe budget from Joan and put on a wedding scene. Come on. And I thought by now, like Princess Di showed them all how it's done. So where's my, my opulent wedding? Amen. There. Amen. The church has spoken. Now, the bulk of the episode really revolves around Steven. You know, he just came home, although now he's going to get back on a jet and go to New York. But Alexis sends Adam over there to try to convince him not to get back with Sammy Joe. She's already given him this information that Blake tried to buy the baby. Adam and Steven are not off on a good foot because Adam is like talking all kinds of shit about his lifestyle. I mean, he's saying it's like a hug and a punch. Like he's saying, oh, I'm accepting of this. But he's really just kind of alluding to, well, you may not have fucked Sammy Joe enough to get her impregnated because you're a gay. Well, I I think there's sort of an expression here of even the writer's reluctance about what are they going to do with Steven's sexuality, uh, which totally gets played out with Heather Locklear in the third and Blake too but the other thing like don't forget that it kind of starts out with Blake and Alexis sort of striking a business deal that they'll leave Steven out of their squabbles but then you know as soon as Blake leaves the office Adam walks in and you know Alexis and Adam are plotting again oh yeah 
you can't trust her. But what's funny is that Adam actually tells her that he truly likes Stephen. So is that a put on as well? Like, is he putting on his own mother? He's so only it, seen him for two seconds. It's at the homecoming. Yeah, I mean, it's all these levels of like political play. But whether he truly likes Stephen and he's telling her that for authentic reasons or not, who knows? But I think a lot of these characters see Stephen as a pawn. They want him in their court. You know, Blake and Crystal want him in their court because they want the baby because they've basically been raising it as their own, which is weird. And then Alexis and Adam just want him in on their side of the fence because I guess it's just more people to go against Blake, which is, you know, Alexis's ultimate goal. I was really sad. We see a little peek into Steven's room. Looks like they sold off of all of those exotic worldly <laughs> furnishings that he had when they well, thought he was dead. I mean, this is also another trope of the time of high consumption that is so well demonstrated in the 1980s, which is, you know, we, we redecorate every couple of years. Welcome like, home. We bought you a four poster bed it's always a new look right <laughs> uh, i was sad because i thought that that gave a lot of insight into the character the way he had decorated his room but he's also like a father now so maybe he just wants something a little more sophisticated or maybe he's sleeping in another room you know there's 45 of them i i still think it's just a little bit more of like how he's like fake steven and you know this is just more of how inauthentic this character is now are you accepting of jack coleman no. in the oh wow that was very declarative well, I mean, I think I don't think the acting is the problem. I just feel like he's not cast correctly for this character. There was a certain depth to Al Corley's performance that we don't get here. Yeah, I do like Jack Coleman. Like, I think he's very charismatic when he comes on the screen. But yeah, there is this sort of depth that we're missing. And maybe that just has to do with the fact that we spent, you know, two years with uh, Al Corley in the role. And he originated it i mean al corley hammed here and there so i'm not saying his performance was you know some some sort of emmy award-winning performance but there was something there there was something stirring you know it was it was like still waters on the surface but it was very deep well and the character was left in such a state that he has to resolve all of these issues his relationship with his father now he's got this new brother his relationship with his estranged wife so you can't really get to know who jack coleman is in the role because there's just so much business there's a lot of baggage yeah for sure he's he's yeah. inherited a lot and I, I i think it's just a big weight and there's literal baggage because he carries it off to uh to new york to see sammy joe now this is probably where they spent the money i don't know if that was an existing set or what but it probably sammy was. joe has got it going on with her multi-level new york pied I mean, you know does that apartment even feel like it's in new york I, I realize not every apartment in new york is like a studio you know with a air conditioner unit hanging out the front window but like this just does it doesn't it feels like it's just on a set in, in beverly hills or something like this well, doesn't, that's because it's on a set in west hollywood or west hollywood right <laughs> but yeah i mean no it doesn't really feel like it but also you know she's getting a carrington subsidy here so she can afford something a little bit nicer but then she tells that agent or whatever that she's boning to to get a cosmetics modeling job that uh she hasn't even paid the next month's rent or maybe she told steven that but so i was just trying to piece together like how is she paying for this who is she I think she like, is. What is she really doing? In the I think she is modeling. I think it's a combination of doing a, a little bit of light modeling. She's got the Carrington allowance coming in. And then I think, you know, she's a pretty young thing in New York. I think some people are throwing her some bones here and there. So maybe she's getting a discount 
you know, free dinner. I think she might be working for an escort service and hanging out <laughs> with like power brokers in New York. Okay, I would believe that too. But then it's interesting to find out that she's actually sponsored by Blake Carrington and Co. She's taking a check from any direction she can get it, apparently. But that's you know that's what this character is. I mean, she's I, I will give it to Heather Locklear. She's very good at playing a two dimensional bitch. <laughs> I think that we were talking about Jack Coleman settling into the role. I think she's the more I see her, the more I like her. I think she was a little bit too cardboardy in the beginning in this, but I think Heather Locklear is really growing into this because there's just these little subtle hints and the way that she looks around and even in the writing, like she's always wanting that cash. You notice like she keeps saying like... Well, I like that they do that with her. Like they really don't try to make her this all-encompassing rounded character. She's pretty much just there to be greedy and say bitchy things to to Stephen. Yeah, well, and homophobic too because he takes her to dinner at his uh, favorite restaurant. Yeah, it seems like part of the reason that she didn't want to be a mommy to little baby Danny was because uh, daddy was uh, a gay, she says. I would sort of underscore some things about what surfaces as homophobia in this episode it's very frequently presented in terms of the baby child being raised in a normal family um which i'm not going to sit here and debate like what the parental units should be to raise a child in a normal environment but it's very clear that very traditional family values are still kind of at play here because blake says basically the same thing and i think even adam does too like it's always presented in like we don't have a problem with your lifestyle but we have a problem with your lifestyle being yeah a family for this child right sammy joe listen to me no you listen to me i didn't do such a bad job at thinking about danny's best interests at least i put him with people who can give him what he needs including a normal upbringing you want to do your thing with other guys go do it but if you really give a damn about your son let him grow up with a straight family stick him with you for a father but what's also more interesting to me is religion never ever comes up in any of this so this is this is sort of a a little bit of a twist because like that's typically one of the biggest arguments is oh but the bible says or you know god looks down upon or whatever you don't really hear any of that ever in this show it's always presented under the terms of maybe traditional family values or even more he will have better chances if we don't raise him in that environment but it's never really about like religion or ideology it's well, it's and- more about and this to me is about the amorality of of 80s you know thinking and and the way that people sort of considered these ideas Well, it's interesting that nobody considers that he could be bisexual because, again, we already knew this, but Stephen does tell Adam that he has made love to Sammy Joe, and it's entirely possible that he's the father. So it's not even in the realm. It's not even in anybody's vocabulary here that you could like boys and girls. Well, and also not to veer too far from your thought there but adam very much presents that in a sense of oh i've slept with so many more women than you have yeah let me tell you he's such bro. a sleazeball you oh, know yeah and he's still being because a this is ball. adam's thing where he like you know is so aggressive and just treats women as something to conquer which i realize is a very you know stereotypical masculine type um especially very popular still during this period i mean he even does it to kirby who he now knows got married to jeff and he goes and 
corners her, waits till Jeff leaves. I mean, he did have a little bit of liquid courage with some bourbon or whiskey or something. And he goes in and tells her that, oh, she's still going to be his. It's like... Yeah, this is where I really feel bad for her because he's basically telling her how stupid she is. I think that's even his words. Dumb. You are so dumb, Miss Colby. (laughs) You are so dumb. You are so dumb, Mrs. Colby. Mrs. Colby. Is that a first? No. Mr. Carrington, a bellboy in Reno beat you to it. Don't walk away from me, Kirby. And I feel really bad for her in that because you know she is what kind I of see when I in look over at, her head, you know. Oh, totally. You know what I see when I look at Adam when he's acting like that? Young Blake. I feel like that's how Blake acted back in the 30s or 40s or whenever he was Adam's age. Yeah, but it's the 80s now, so uh, could we tone it down a bit? Yeah, no, it's it's revolting. And luckily she says unhand me, sir. I'm a lady so, of this house. I think How this is like you? their final confrontation Good, in the sense that maybe they'll have some tiffs later, but this is the first time where she finally breaks through the wall and pushes him away and she's no longer like this vulnerable thing to be conquered by Adam. Well, that's what I would like for that character is that now that she's married, now that she's the upstairs bride, I would like her to assert some power here over her father, over Adam, over Fallon, all of them. Like be the boss bitch you can be because you know French. But the fact that she knew French got her in trouble with Adam in the first place. So, I mean, that's... A separate thing, but Zuta Lors. Uh, but see, okay, so but this is Adam freshly off being wounded by Crystal. Uh, so this Love. is like, this is like Adam's gauntlet with with the ladies in this episode. I, you know, so the Kirby thing, he gets rejected, but he was already fresh off a of first rejection with Crystal. Like, and you know, that's an interesting one too because Crystal's usually just moping around and not really capable yeah, of Yeah, I don't and, know why she grew such a spine with Adam. She overheard him talking down to Steve and even though Gordon Thompson seems much shorter than Jack Coleman, but she was like, "In the library now." I've never I mean, it's been a long time, I feel like, since we've seen Crystal exert this kind of authority. And of course, Sleazeball Adam writes this all off as hot-tempered ladies. <laughs> you know, like, God forbid women pig. have any prerogative, you know. Well, she was being a little dramatic, I have to say. What I want to know, this this was a weird one. I don't know what to make of this. What was with the shaking hand on the glass? I was going to ask you that. So I read it two different ways. I did too. I had a couple ways for this too. Okay, so the first was that, you know, we had the old-timey doctor come and visit several episodes ago and allude to Adam having a drug problem. So I thought maybe it was like setting up a return mm-hmm. to that, like he was having DTs or something. Yeah. But then more simplistically, I thought... It's because he was lying because yeah. Alexis sent I thought him. it was because he was busted being a sociopath. Yeah, which is like, really? This guy painted an entire office with poisonous paint. Not once, but twice, maybe three or four times. And he can't lie to Crystal without shaking his bourbon Well, you know, again, this, this is... This is sort of like when, you know, the masculine bullshit gets called and then suddenly it's it's cowering in the corner. 100 to zero. That's what Crystal's up to here because he's so used to just he even like tries to write her off when she first says, you know, in the library now. He's like, well, I've got things to do. And she's like, no, that's that's not going to work this time. You're going to come in the room and we're going to give you the business. But anyway, so yeah, clearly like he's been called out. And so it's interesting to sort of see that masculine shell kind of crumble that way. But yeah, I, I also kind of just consider, well, maybe it's just like he's got some weird drug problem or the DTs or 
who knows now we do have a little more of this business takeover going on it's taking a long time but blake i guess has really made all of the board members just hang out in other parts of the world so they can't convene that old trick one of the board members dexter returns from the bahamas so it seems like this is going to be concluding soon i mean we're almost at the end of the third season so it's got to go somewhere but one thing i like about this is this is all there was a little moment earlier in this episode where alexis is pretty much exposed for you know being manipulative by blake um i forget what the context was but anyway and that's sort of the thing about alexis is she's always guileful but she always gets caught for it it's just and in a way she doesn't seem to care because ultimately she's just still up to her tricks you know it never stops and i love this thing that the guy lands in the bahamas and he's being presented with you know papers to show up in the boardroom so she's still like she's got tricks up her sleeve even if she gets caught all the time i I, I don't know that's that's kind of this like funny duality about her character yeah no i like that i mean i don't want her to always get her way two steps forward one step back i know this episode wasn't like too too exciting but one thing that I was really surprised about and kind of titillated was when Sammy Joe picks up the latest edition of the National Enquirer and she sees that Stephen Carrington is alive, which is Stephen Carrington really that big of a deal that he makes the top of the fold on the National Enquirer? Well, it is just the National Enquirer. <laughs> but then below that, did you see that the cast of Dallas? Yeah, you was spotted on the that. Cover? I didn't even notice that, but because it's like such a blip, but. Yeah, why? Why would you have the cast of the of Dallas? Your biggest your competition. Com- com- yeah, like. that's wild. That but they- I, I noticed they put some gaffers tape over the actual Dallas title on the headline. So. I guess back then, like, people weren't really, like, freeze-framing things and making GIFs out of stuff, so they thought they could just kind of get away with it. Maybe it was a little bit of an in-joke, but, yeah, confirmation that Dallas, the TV show, exists in the world of Dynasty. Well, I mean, this was back in a world before assholes like us had podcasts and, you know, would call it out. But also, is that maybe just, like, a little bit of a snarky comment on their competition, like, that they're on the cover of the Inquirer? <laughs> I mean, that is, like, right. your your grocery store tabuloid, right? I mean, yeah, that seems like something Sammy Joe something would have a subscription to. So, for all the cheesy lovemaking and saxophone scenes in, in this show, the, I think the one in this episode's got to be top 10 worst ever, which is Crystal laid out, like, a Gilby's Gin advert. <laughs> In front of the fireplace. In front of the fire, on the fur carpet, rug, whatever. Yeah, with a watering can full of martinis. I kind of liked that. Oh? (laughs) What's this? (laughs) But, you know, uh, what was interesting about that scene is the way that Crystal can exert her power over Blake is only through, like, sex and romance, right? She can't have a rational conversation with him to convince no. him to talk to Joseph about being a bitch to his his daughter for getting married to Jeff Colby. She's got to turn the fire on, get martinis made, put on her sexiest negligee, lay down on the, the bearskin fur rug or whatever, the mink rug or whatever that rug... <laughs> animal that rug was made it's just out of. it's a scrap of fur that was just lying around I, you know whatever 90 minks had to die for that it's rug. Inter- yeah i kind of thought the same thing is like as much as alexis kind of pulls some strings in the background so does crystal in her own way although i think crystal tends to use her powers for good not for evil Oh, this was definitely her using it for good because she saw that Kirby was was being distressed. So she's trying to help another sister out. Well, just what every tired businessman needs. A 
lovely lady on the floor next to a fire, a pitcher full of martinis. The only thing that doesn't go with the picture is, why are you so pensive, darling? I was just thinking about Jeff and Kirby and about you. Oh, how did I get into this? But it's just comical, the hoops that she has to jump through. I mean, she probably just had the staff do all of that. But Oh, still. she didn't stir those martinis herself. Are you kidding? But other than that, I think Crystal's whole MO on this show now is to keep that baby for herself. And you see it in that last scene when Blake and Steven are having their confrontation in the library over his lifestyle and being <laughs> a father. She's like, I'm just going to sneak out of here with the baby. <laughs> I, know, I love Linda Evans like walks in and goes, whoops, uh-oh, and <laughs> does a 180 and walks right out or she tries to anyway and then she crystal pulled into the drama you going <laughs> where are you taking that baby where are you going with that baby <laughs> yeah i think she was gonna go get in her rolls and like drive back to ohio with that baby she wants it so bad we have a, a low speed rolls royce chase with the baby i just don't get it adopt the baby if you want one so bad that that can totally be your own Aren't there a lot of babies out there in 1983 that want to find new rich homes? They didn't have homes? a budget for any more babies, so they well, got to make it work. Well, thank God, because I don't know how many more babies they can fit into that nursery. Oh, my God. That nursery, by the way, it's like the headquarter for all of the gossip. It's it's Which is fitting because, right, the nursery is like where people go to have all these undeveloped, childish, emotional discussions. Those babies are going to be so traumatized oh by all the conversations Imagine that raging they a child in this environment. Those babies oh, have heard all of this drama. The new dynasty should have just been those babies talking about how fucked up their grandparents I mean, is this the Montessori were. method or is, why am I so screwed up? Now it's time for the part of the episode where Kyler and I choose our looks of the week. Well, there were a lot of interesting choices <laughs> made by the ladies this week. But my favorite, actually, she hasn't been serving us a lot of strong looks lately, but I did like, in the beginning of the episode, Crystal was wearing this kind of black, I think it was like a jumpsuit, and it had like a corset belt with like really well, cool gold it was a, It was like a, I don't know if it was a wrap dress, but it was a dress. Oh, it was anyway. a dress. Yeah. Okay, I don't remember what the bottom looked like, because I was looking at the cleavage because normally like as you've noted plunging neckline yeah she doesn't normally plunge that deeply she's normally covered up like she's an amish woman but yeah she had a really nice plunging neckline and i just really liked that that belt corset thing i thought that was like a cool choice and this might be an example of where she's mixing black and brown and it does kind of work it didn't bother me the way it did the last time she tried that but but it was with the the super high scrunchy boots so it's a lot of like head to toe fabrics and textures and i mean i don't know maybe they're just implying winter in denver you know that's probably what that is yeah there was a lot of jackets and coats and uh, coverings but yeah unfortunately it was all undone because later on she wears that nightmarish white number that's like cut really high with the weird floral embellishment on top of it and i don't yeah, know that looked to me like something that lands on the back of nordstrom rack or something like for 70 percent off nordstrom but. rack you mean goodwill Ooh, kyler what was your look of the week well there were definitely some pieces that were like kind of juicy so i loved the the knit jacket that fallon wears for the first half of the episode no, yeah 
I don't like the the whole outfit. This is not how I wanted to start off 2021. How much fabric it has this, did it take to make that jacket? Well, so it has this sort of like large geometric lapel situation going on. Lapel? That was a quilt. I also liked that she was wearing this belt in the nursery in her final outfit at the end of the episode. Uh, it was a sort of like primary color tiles thing. There's there's a lot of like color statement blocking. belts going on mm. in, the, in the show, I've noticed. So that's something I hadn't thought much about of as far as 80s clothing there was the thing with alexis that the the looks weren't great but she was doing all of her signature purple um in her penthouse like i i do love this running theme and i'm sure it's not accidental at this point uh that you know when she's at and she's in her her lair purples and lilacs and living the lavender and, fantasy yeah you know it, because by the way like like the the flowing nightgown is not the best of night attire i've seen on the show and then the the sort of purpley blouse thing that she wore prior also not a great look well she did class it up when steven came home and she wore the the nighty with the marabou feathers well that's what i'm talking about the nighty with the marabou feathers oh, i mean okay. which you know it's or like it's those chicken fine feathers. but it's not not like this big statement it's always accessorized with champagne or a black cigarette and a crystal table lighter so, you know, Alexis has other things kind of going on in this episode, but, you know, I, it's not a lot of, like, super outstanding outfits. So you just liked the accessories as your look of the week. Yeah, I think it's definitely about the accessories in this. But, you know, that's kind of fitting because the whole episode was kind of even keel, not super outlandish or exciting. So, you know, whatever. They can't all be Grand Slams. Yeah, the episode was an accessory, hopefully to a better outfit next week. Where's Pamela Bellwood? <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of Dynasty As They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me again. Always a good time. And I want to thank Lindsay Mound, the artist who designed our logo, and um, DJ Jugo for doing our theme song. If you want more from Dynasty As They Want to Be, we have a Patreon. You can support us financially and get access to exclusive bonuses. It's patreon.com slash nasty podcast and follow along on our journey between episodes on social media we're at nasty podcast that's n-a-s-t-y podcast join us again for the next episode the vote let's just say i thought about it i never got anything else from you did i (laughs) 